Hey, it's the official tapes. This is where we get into the official releases from the Grateful Dead. Yeah, the band Beyond Description. We put them on the radio airways for you. And every so often, uh, we get an interview. Uh, somebody who's talking about a book, a movie, a show, an event, a story. And how about this for a storyteller? This is Ken Babs. The book I've written is called Cronies. It's uh, all about the adventures with Ken Kesey Neil Cassidy, the Grateful Dead, and the Merry Pranksters, and others. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to cover. Here's kind of a uh, rundown. He's going to talk a little bit about what the book is all about, the acid test, how that came about, his MC work. He did uh, stage announcements during the Grateful Dead's performance at Woodstock, also Vanita in 72, just as a heads up uh, when he's referencing the Vanita show. He talks a little bit about uh, Papa the DJ. That was actually Ken Babs. It was his name, and then Brother Bartholomew. Uh, that was played in the part by his partner in crime, Ken Kesey. They talk, he'll also talk a little bit about why the pranksters moved from California to Oregon, how the name Mary Pranksters came about, and then he'll also talk a little bit about Neil Cassidy. A lot to cover, and then somewhere in there, a uh, calf is going to be out on the loose. But from uh, the real acid test is a uh, chemical or an acid you put on gold to determine if it's... Uh Pause for a minute. The calf is out. We just learned that the calf is out. <laughs> I must have left the gate open. Yeah, the gate must be open. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what. We'll keep going, and if things get worse, we'll deal with the calf. Okay, and uh, here's what one guy said about it. This one is a hoot, recounting the hijinks of Babs's long friendship with Ken Kesey. Did Babs really commandeer a pedicab at the 1962 Seattle World's Fair, crash it into a pond, and then coin a prankster credo? Babs' highly readable stories follow the full arc of the counterculture movement that the two literary Kens were part of in the 1960s. The book I have written is called Cronies, and it is a burlesque, which is not a, um, what do they call that thing that everybody does, a uh, memoir, or is it, nor is it fiction, but it is something in between. It is described as a historical occurrence enhanced with exaggerations and inventions uh, and uh, something else I can't remember, which was perfect for me because I can't remember. <laughs> I want to do a book in which I am a participant in the stories. I was thinking about that the other day, that I have an interesting stance in this book. I'm not only the writer of the stories, but in the story, I'm narrating the story. And also in the story, I'm one of the uh, participants in the story. <laughs> so I have three uh, different hats on all through the whole book. 70 stories. And so each story is its own trip. Going with an adventure with so-and-so on this story, and then in the next story, it could be a completely, in fact, it is a completely different scene with another story. The good old Grateful Dead was chips. It started out with the acid tests, and the acid tests really made a lot of people think differently. 
I think it, it set the trend, anyway, for the rock state as it is now. And the Grateful Dead were right there. Oh, yeah. Well, there was the acid test, which, like, uh, took us a lot of new places. And Anybody could come in and suddenly find themselves in this weird scene, and that was, like, part of that change. Uh, your favorite memories from that era? <laughs> well, uh... The nice thing about the acid test was that we could play or not in the acid test, and a lot of times we would get just too, we'd be too high really to play. Do you feel that you may have hurt yourself at all from all the experiments or experiences that you've had? No, 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 no. <laughs> and it was interesting the way it worked out because Casey was having these things that were just parties once a week on Saturdays at his house, first in La Honda. This is the days before LSD was illegal. It was like a whole new thing. So we got invited to one of these parties and we went there and brought our equipment and we played and they passed the hat around and you know we made a little money you know and we had a real good time we had a super good time so we said you know let's hang out the gigs or let's play the gigs during the week and then bust out on the weekend. The nice thing about the acid test was that we could play or not in the acid test and a lot of times we would get just too we'd be too high really to play and we'd play for maybe a minute that's what we'd call it see? <laughs> and then we'd lose it but it felt like ours the only word for it really is fun it was really fun somebody put this little sign handmade sign on the window of uh, the bookstore in Santa Cruz saying acid test at Ken Babs' house with my address and somebody thought that was an acid test but it wasn't and even uh, and the band, they just happened to show up there. That's the thing. And we just had an all-night party. But for sheer unmitigated, total, all-out craziness, you couldn't beat the acid test. I mean, really. Okay, so there's an acid that you put on gold, and if the gold doesn't melt, it's real gold. But if the thing that you think is gold melts, it's not gold. So that is the real acid test. So you take that into what we were doing. We just called it that. <laughs> you know, Keezy and I and the Pranksters, we never dealt acid to anybody or uh, had anything to do with distributing acid. Or we just did it. And so people have even said that we went around, you know, on the bus passing acid out. No, it never happened, never happened, even at the acid test. When the Pranksters had all their funky, weird stuff set up on the other side of the room, this is all in the living room, you know. We cranked up, ah, you know, for about 10 minutes, we went completely hog bananas wild, you know. <laughs> then we took everything down and packed it up and went home. <laughs> we were doing the movies on the wall, and then Roy Seaburn, before all this started, had picked up a projector from a school and uh, was doing stuff on his walls. So he did that at the acid test, too. He was the first guy to do the that kind of light show that became, you know, part of every rock and roll show there for a while. Uh, and uh, we brought all our gear down there. You know, we were freshly unemployed. You know, we finally got out of our bar gig, and we were good and burnt out, you know, on the bars, but we were playing well. You know, we were playing good. Uh, we set up all our snazzy rock and roll stuff, and the Pranksters had all their funky, weird stuff set up on the other side of the room. This all in the living room. We know? had our band set up at one end of the hall, and then the... Uh, 
The Warlocks, as they were called then, had their set up at the other end. Before that, they were all living in a, this place called the Chateau down the hill from Kesey's place in Palo Alto. And he brought them up there and they met, uh, introduced the guys to Kesey. Well, that's a good chapter in my book. We had this tremendous purpose. I mean, a, a, a really well-organized rock and roll band, you know, in a, in a in the middle of uh, their completely formlessness of these parties, really, which is what they originally were, you know, uh, that kind of purpose, you know, is like, wow, it seems like the most powerful thing on earth, you know, <laughs> you can't imagine. How do they do that? You know, it's, 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 it seems like magic. You know, it's like miraculous. Okay, we have now a new, a new update. <laughs> what is it? Would it be hard to electrify that part of the fence? They're like pushing on it. Is it too hard to plug that in and get it going? Or? Not too hard. Can I do it? Uh, no. No. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's take a break. If you were to review your performance at Woodstock when you were there. That was the worst. That good, huh? We had a lot of failures. Uh, it, it was amazing. amazing. It we was had started, a little electrical rain, problem. It started to rain and we were getting shocked. And yeah, the stage, the stage was, was sinking. And metal and yeah. wet. Yeah. Every time you touch something, you get these shocks. And, 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 the and there were people... Four foot blue arc. And there were people in back of the the amplifiers hollering things like, The stage is collapsing. The stage is collapsing. You're melting. totally weird. Totally weird. Good morning. What we have in mind is breakfast in bed for 400,000. Hey man, I just gotta say that you people have gotta be the strongest bunch of people I ever saw. Three days, man, three days. We just love you, we just love you. I went over there to catch the Grateful Dead and that terrible storm hit just before they played and just trashed the stage and water and everything. Everything, nothing was working and all that. Hello, test 4965, hike. We have a gentleman with us. It's the gentleman upon whose farm we are, Mr. Max Yasker. But I think you people have proven something to the world. Not only did a gentleman battle, Not only to pound the battle or Sullivan County or New York State, you've proven something to the world. This is the largest group of people ever assembled in one place. But at Woodstock there, everything was, nothing was working except they finally got one microphone working and uh, everybody was milling around. And once again, uh, Pigpen said, go out there and say something. But uh, it was like Jellystone Park was this place where they said that uh, this is a place that we'll make for the people, by the people, for the people, uh, all of them being in their, you know, national land. And like it was in Indian days uh, when they went there from everywhere to uh, encamp in a neutral ground where uh, no tribal warfare would take place. Established ahead of time, you know, for a Holy Land type place to take your bath and cleanse your body you know, and be uh, as close as you could be to the center of it all. Well, in the great American tradition, uh, you don't go to Jellystone anymore, but with uh, all this apparatus that we got going here that uh, puts 
Old Faithful in a greater participation light than the hot springs you can sit in there and bathe as long as you want. So yeah, that was a good rap. To uh, fill in uh, any time that anything happens, there's a guy down in the woods, the grommet maker, who stands there. Boom, 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 boom. That was a surprise. On the grommet machine and uh, causing the grommets to go into the tent. And he says, What's your gig? And I says, Well, I hang around here and then I go see what's there. And he says, You're a floater. I said, Well, what's a floater? And he says, Well, that's a guy that goes from gig to gig uh, helping out. That's where everybody's at in this thing. We're all floating. And then that guy came up and from snow out of nowhere and did his rap. And that was good too. The lake, the great, the great, the great, the great, the great, light, light, light. And sat over, oh, oh, over the Pacific Ocean and, and, and rise over the Atlantic. And there's just a, a thing I'd like to say here tonight for everyone here, and that's there's another coast. Yeah! It's just another coast. It's a third coast. Uh, uh, uh. That was some unknown guy who did that, and he he was up there, and then I was back there, and Bob Weir said, get him off the stage, Babs. And so I lit up a joint and went out and held it to him and lured him off, uh, focus, puffing to the side there where Ramrod eased him back down in the crowd, and he disappeared. Yeah, I've come to think of that guy as a really, really good, great guy that uh, is part of the show. And the neat thing about that is that has all got caught on camera. And more miles of coastline. Just measure it. Just measure it. This was a kind of a tradition as the Grateful Dead shows. You know, they're always real slow, I and mean, they're all doing messing around, so they never can really go out and get started on time. So I always be standing back to, by the organ with Pigpen, and he, at a certain point, he said, go out and tell them the story, Babs. So I'd go out there, there'd always be one microphone working. So I'd go out there and start rapping, and as soon as I did that, their heads would pop up, they'd grab their instruments, and they'd get out there right away and start playing and get me off the stage. <laughs> and... Uh, so that was kind of a tradition. Before you introduce I don't know who the this band, guy Ken. is, but he ain't Bill Graham. Oh, well, we'd sure like thank to you, thank, thank the, nicest thing I've heard today. the Springfield Creamery for making it possible for us to play out here in front of all you folks here and God and everybody. I don't know, this may be the first time I've ever been to Oregon. It didn't rain and now it's too damn hot. This is really where we get off the best. We've run right through now. Another new addition for you who haven't seen the dead here in uh, Oregon. We were done with San Francisco, you know. We had done all our stuff there and everything. And so when Kesey was in doing time at the San Mateo Sheriff's Honor Camp in 1967 uh, for a drug bust, his dad had bought a 68-acre farm in Pleasant Hill. And so when Kesey got out, he went right there to live. 
that was the summer of love and everybody was pouring in, you know, and, and so we just, all of us moved up to Oregon and went on that farm. Okay, so then, we've run right through now. Another new addition for you who haven't seen the dead here in uh, Oregon for a while is uh, Keith's young, beautiful wife, Donna, who sings with the band, and I have something for you too, Donna. I don't know where you are. <laughs> Well, I couldn't uh, let you leave without telling you what happened to Brother Bartholomew and his friend. Poppin' Jay, Poppin' Jay, Poppin' DJ all the way. <laughs> he went on the radio in the morning and uh, there in Eugene and announced the uh, show coming up. <laughs> and, you know, and then his cohort was, uh, I can't remember what his name was, back in the tower there where we'd talk back and forth. And that was Keezy. You've all met him up here. Brother Bartholomew's... Bartholomew, Brother Bartholomew, right, yeah. I got one story to tell you before we go any further. The mystery of the... <laughs> I was playing the part of a horrible radio announcer. <laughs> hey, we're going to go take a short break and, and, and drink something because it's real hot up here and, and regain our energy. Yeah, cop a couple salt tablets and uh, try again. That was a real down-and-out concert uh, that just happened to be uh, one of the best outdoor, in fact, it was at the time, best outdoor concert ever. Uh, and their dark star they did with the sun going down and blazing in their eyes on a 103-degree day and the, uh, the guitars all out of tune and the drum heads melting uh, and the voices wavering, the best dark star ever. This is your up-to-date water report. Whitebird Clinic is completely out of water. Oh, well, yeah, that's because uh, water was in, in uh, su uh, dire supply there after a while, and they had that water truck there. And it went down and got it filled up, and they were going to come up and spray it all over the people as it went through and uh, until someone realized they had been sucking that water out of the uh, lagoon where the, you know, the effluvium, or what it was called from the, the porta potties went into, so, so we came within a hair of spraying everybody with ice. Jay Sunday, <laughs> Earth Man, lost his Austrian billfold. Please leave it. At, this is it, look it up. I don't finish reading it. Please leave it at the New World Restaurant at the University of Oregon. Jonathan D. Stevens of Boston University, 03636 valid only with current label. Your wallet is up here. There's money. Well, you can imagine everybody's getting high and they're looking around in their pockets for some rolling papers or something and their wallet falls out. You know, it's a natural thing. Particularly when everybody's taking their clothes off. <laughs> Again, which is for the man who has uh, come straight out of our area from Pendleton, Oregon, to go down and coordinate activities in the Bay Area with uh, lifting the equipment uh, to the point where I gave him my bad back. Now he takes it over, so I'm going to give him a present for that occasion. I'm speaking none other than Ramrod. Yeah, I did that. I did that as I was introducing the band for everybody I introduced them to. I gave them a little present. And now, moving over here, ladies and gentlemen, to the fellow here on what you would say your left and my right, uh, the lead Garcia player. No, the lead guitar player. Jerry uh, Guitar. No, Garcia. But it's in that uh, chapter I wrote about the show in my book.
when Keith and I were uh, did a wrestling tournament and I had to wrestle and I got pinned and uh, my tooth knocked out and he had given me before the match a uh, cross top Benny <laughs> so I was still wired and so we went to my room and I had a record player and uh, we played Richard Strauss's uh, Till You and Spiegel's Merry Prank. It's a tremendous classical recording. And Till Eulenspiegel was a real person back in like the 1600s who would gallop through town doing all kinds of pranks. Like the one I tell in the story is where he shoved a potato up the pipe that came from the toilet of the upstairs apartment and this uh, got plugged up and the window opened and this woman was there with her nightgown all soiled and he laughed and galloped off. And so many years later, I mean, that was in 1958. And then in 1964, when uh, we were getting ready to go on the bus trip, uh, all the pranksters were there at La Honda. And it was at night, and they were around the fire. And Kesey and his brother and I had gone off for a while. We came back, and Mike Hagan yelled, yelled, Halt, who goes there? And I said, Tis I, uh, the intrepid traveler. Come to me, uh, lead his merry pranksters across the country and back in the opposite direction of the settlers. Our, uh, 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 what was it, not our, uh, whatever it is we want to do. What, what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, it's the, uh, God, my head's screwed up today. I've been outside chopping wood and I can't get into the little quite. <laughs> but 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 what we're going to do is uh we're going to uh oh gosh we're going to uh the uh guys destruction of the whole thing but not in a uh bad sense we're going to blow their minds not their buildings <laughs> tis i the intrepid traveler come to lead his merry band of pranksters across america Backwards, in the reverse direction of the settlers, our goal, the obliteration of the entire nation, not in the physical sense, of course, but spiritually, blow their minds, not their buildings. Well, good. I'm glad you can remember that. From now on, I'm going to ask you the question. That's an interesting part of the whole saga is that uh, being part of our group that we formed, uh, all friends and everything, and uh, we needed a name, so the name, the Merry Band of Pranksters, came up. And also, uh, well, from the whole Till You and Spiegel thing, you know, of pulling pranks, but uh, the pranks had a obligation about them. You couldn't really uh, do something nasty or anything. You had to do something that was funny and everybody would walk away laughing. Nobody was the goat or, you know, anything like that, or mocked or made fun of. As pranksters also, we were a band. 
we all played instruments, crazy instruments like trombone and saxophone, clarinet, drums, and you know, flutes and stuff like that uh, at first until we got into our electrical mode when we went rock and rolly. <laughs> but, but on the bus trip, that was really what all we did. And the pranksters are also a lot like the Grateful Dead, but not with those great numbers. Uh, we both had the same uh, mission in life, the uh, Grateful Dead and the uh, pranksters, which was to, uh, as Kesey said, the only real currency in the country is that of the spirit. And our job is to go everywhere we went and to raise the spirits of the people that were there. So they would go home, you know, feeling really good. And uh, instead of going home and kicking the dog, they'd cuddle with him on the couch, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, and because this is the most important thing to do with uh, uh, the stuff that's coming down on us all the time, the fear stuff and the, the stuff, you know, and kowtow to this and kowtow to that. It, it drags you down, but, you know, you got to be free of all that. you got to let your spirit soar, and when your spirit soar, you feel good. You feel good about your life. You feel good about your friends. You feel good about what you're doing, and you feel good about helping others who are in worse shape than you are and people that are ugly and uh, people that are uh, yelling at you and, and homeless people who are begging for money. You feel good about them too and you do everything you can to make them feel good about themselves. Yeah, that's the sermon. What is today? Is today Sunday? So the pranksters, the, the, the amazing thing about the pranksters is that uh, the way the pranksters have become something like the Beats or the Hippies. We're, we're different from both of those. We were too uh, young for the Beats and too old to be Hippies. Uh, but yet we were a movement like that that still exists all over the country. There are pranksters now. Zane Kesey is kind of Kesey's son, keeps track of it, and then does all, a lot of stuff out to the pranksters. Is kind of the hub. But uh, there are now, he said, fifth-generation pranksters with the children that are uh, being born now. Well, Cassidy is one of the kind of people that you 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 know. It's he's so uh, such a, he was such an overwhelming um, trip. <laughs> Cassie, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to even know what to say about Cassie. Yes, he was super unique, super brilliant, smart, and came from a really rough, tough childhood, came up through it, uh, went to the reformatory after stealing 500 cars or more when he was uh, in his teens, not to do anything but take him out for joy rides with girls that he'd pick up and then abandoning the car. Uh, that's the only reason he wanted the car. But anyway, he had this brilliant mind, and uh, when he was in the reformatory, I met this guy uh, from uh, Denver that hipped him to books and, and good literature, man, so he jumped right on that, and he gobbled it up, had a photographic mind when it came to uh, reading. He could uh, recite whole paragraphs of Marcel Proust's Remembrances of Things Past, which is about as esoteric a book as you can mention you know, that most people never heard of. <laughs> and, 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 also, and also we respectfully dedicate this set to the memory of Neil Cassidy. Neil was 
you know, a major player in the Beats, and he was a major player in the uh, Pranksters, but he wasn't like that in the hippie movement. Uh, the hippie movement was something that came about on its own, really. I mean, you know, through psychedelics, uh, through having the same revelations about life and doing the freedom things and arts, you know, music and dance and uh, paintings and, you know, every kind of thing. All over, people were, you know, burgeoning, blowing out the edges of the canvas, you know, going out of the frame, starting new stuff, you know. And, but Cassidy had his foot in in all this, you know. He had his foot in the B generation and, and in the gap where we were. Frank Searcy's right with us. Then he had a foot in the uh, psychedelic revolution. Neil went to New York City and uh, hooked up with the Beats, you know, at a very early time, you know, at Ginsburg and Kerouac and all that. Big influence on him and a big influence, he was a big influence on them. Uh, he was, uh, but you know, it's funny, as I've gotten to know more about the Beats, they were doing a lot of the same stuff that uh, that we were doing uh, on the bus and uh, before the bus in terms of uh, enacting uh, parts and playing out parts and uh, uh, taping them, and they made that movie, uh, Pull My Daisy, which uh, is on the internet. People should look at that. Uh, it's the actual beats playing all these parts, and David Amran did the uh, score, the music for it. And I don't know if Ker I think Kerouac does the narration for it, too. We're on a line that has started somewhere uh, in America, coming up through uh, literature uh, and different uh, counterculture movements, and, you know, actually coming over from the Bohemians uh, back in the, in Europe. Uh, and uh, that line has come through all the way and is still going strong uh, uh, with all the modifications to it. I think where we're doing the same thing, and it's got to do, like I said, with raising the spirit. Today's uh, performance has is coming to an end. It was serendipitous to be at these places and to meet all these people and be part of all these things that they were doing. But it was also, I was free to do that and that I wasn't tied down to a daily job and, uh, you know, and a daily routine or anything, so I could go whenever something was going on. And I'm sorry, I, uh, you've made an earnest plea, but the time has come to say that today's performance has been unexcelled. <laughs>